Lord Jesus, today as we've sung, we thank you that we stand in your grace today. Lord, we remember the words that David once said where he said, Lord, if you marked our transgressions, we'd never be able to stand in your presence. But there's forgiveness with you. And we just thank you that today we can stand in your presence unashamed, no fear of punishment because, Lord, you are our Savior. You took our punishment. You took our pain. You took all, every sin that we've ever committed, that we will commit, you took it all on the cross. And you have pronounced us righteous. And sometimes we struggle to work it out because we see in this life experience all of the failings and all of our stumblings and sometimes all of the sin that we commit. But we have been pronounced as righteous. You declare you are the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus, we stumble, we fall, we make our mistakes, we get angry, we get all of these different emotions still going through us. And we, we live sometimes a broken life, even whilst we're trusting you and believing and, and just serving you the best way that we can. But in the midst of all of the ups and downs of our lives, we know that we have been pronounced as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So Lord, today we just sit securely in that. Not looking back on the week, not remembering all of those things that would cause us to be worried and concerned and feel ashamed. No, we forget those things that are behind us today. And Lord, we just rest in what you've said and not what our mind is saying. We rest in what you have declared and not what other people are saying. We, we, we remain secure in the fact that you have called us to be partakers, yeah, by name, and to be partakers of the divine nature. So Lord, we thank you for that. I pray in the moments that we have now, as I speak your word, Holy Spirit, that you would come and breathe on it, breathe on it. Without you in this place, Holy Spirit, nothing can take place. But with your breath in our lives, with your moving upon us, Lord, we can receive your word. And it's that living, active word that helps us and guides us and corrects us and brings everything into being that you want for us. So I pray for every person as we, as we hear your word now and we think about what you've done for us. It's all for us. It's all for us, church. He didn't put on a show. <laughs> no, he did it for us. He did it for this world to save it, to redeem it. He's not a showman but he's one that's deeply in love with our world and with our lives. We thank you for it. Let us realize it in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. You can be seated.
Amen. Let's thank our musicians this morning. What a great morning. A great morning we're having. Well, it's amazing. This Christmas season is upon us. All the lights are going up. I don't know if you put your tree up yet. Anybody put their tree up? You should have your tree up by now. We put our tree up and the lights are flashing and you know, it's great. Christmas is an amazing season, an exciting season. Um, and, uh, you know, as believers, every Christmas, my mind goes back to that first Christmas when Jesus came into our world. You know, Jesus came into a very dark world. Jesus didn't come into a world that was trouble-free. When you read the accounts of when Jesus first came into our world. It was a world that was full of uncertainty, a world that was full of difficulty, a world that was full of darkness. And there were lots of questions that people didn't have answers for. It, it was a world of spiritual darkness. The Bible tells us that, you know, the last prophet in the Old Testament was a man called Malachi, a great name great prophet, but he closed the Old Testament with the word curse. He cursed God's people because God's people had been so disobedient. They'd messed everything up, and he, you know, gets really passionate and really quite angry, and he pronounces a curse over God's people, and that's where everything comes to a standstill with God's people and, and the interaction that God was having with people. No more messengers were sent to God's people for over 400 years, 430 years. Can you believe that? So Jesus came into a time where there was great spiritual darkness. We look around today, we look around in our world, and our world is still spiritually dark. Our nation is spiritually dark. There's moral questions that people are looking to answers for. There's boundaries, all kinds of boundaries being broken. Why? Because people are just blind. People are just searching. People are just looking for meaning in their lives and in, in the attempt to find meaning, in, in the attempt to, to search out what life is all about, they're crossing boundary, moral boundary after moral boundary, and they're just groping around in the dark like a blind man. Jesus was born in such a time, 430 years of darkness. And, and theologians call this period between the Old Testament and the New Testament the intertestamental period. A period of great darkness. God didn't choose a convenient time for Jesus to be born into. He was born into a society that was breaking apart. A very evil, brutal, violent society. And yet God sent his son into our world. And when we look at that first Christmas scene, we see a world that's in chaos. We see a world that's out of control. We see all of the bad things highlighted, but also we see something wonderful beginning, something wonderful happening so that we are not left in a hopeless state. 
because Christ came into our world. Do you know one of the greatest people, probably the greatest person in the Bible, outside of God, outside of Jesus, is Mary, a woman. Now that should cheer you you up, ladies. Yeah, come on. Probably one of the greatest people of faith is a woman in the Bible. When you look at this young woman, I mean, Faye spoke last week an incredible message. Brilliant message. A picture of that first Christmas and some of the trials and the troubles that Mary and Joseph went through in order to bring the Savior into our world. But when you, when you look at Mary and when you think about it and when you read the Bible, you see a young couple of incredible faith, incredible examples to us that we should look at, that we should be encouraged by in our walk of faith. What I love about Mary and Joseph, when you read the accounts about them, was this. They didn't use circumstance as a lens through which to interpret the character of God. They didn't use circumstance, evil, troubling circumstance, as a lens through which to interpret the character of God. I was thinking about that this week. And, you know, so often circumstances that can happen. Circumstances can come in all of our lives that can cause us to ask the question, God, do you really care? God, are you really there? God, do you really love me? When trouble hits, when, when the calm goes into the storm and we, we hit darkness and we're faced with uncertainty, it's easy for questions to arise in all of our hearts. And do you know what? If you're human and you're breathing and you're present today, you've asked those questions along with me. We've all asked those questions when we hit the wall, when, when, when things are uncertain. But what's amazing about Mary and Joseph is that they never allowed circumstance to be the lens through which they interpreted the character of God. You know the story like I do. The angel Gabriel came to Mary in Nazareth and announced that she was highly favored by God. Grew up in Nazareth, a dead-end place where nothing good comes out of it and then suddenly gets visited by this amazing angel. And he announces the plan and the purpose of God for her life. She says, how can it be? What's going on? I haven't even been with a man. Don't you realize? And then the angel begins to explain something pure. Not something sinful. Something that would take place. The the power of the Holy One would overshadow her. And conception would begin. And what would be born inside of her womb would be the Savior of the world. And she's blown away. But doubt doesn't arise in her heart. Immediately she says, be it done unto me. You see, faith becomes alive within her and she hears this word and this commission for her life and faith and obedience are there in that moment be it done unto me be it done unto me according to the word 
of God. Now you would think, like Faye said last week, you would think that everything's going to work out, wouldn't you? When you say, be it done unto me, I am your servant from here on in. I surrender my life over to you. I submit my life and everything about myself, I submit it to you. You would think that things are going to go well. But suddenly circumstances start to kick in circumstances start to happen where they've got to move from Nazareth to Bethlehem because a census is being taken and suddenly they're on the move and you know maybe they thought well this isn't a bad move we're moving from this dead-end place where nothing good comes out of and we're on our way to a place called Bethlehem but they're being forced by circumstance their hand is being forced to take a direction that, that was surprising. And on their way they go and they end up in Bethlehem. But things get worse because they go from Nazareth, the place where nothing good comes out of, and they end up in a cattle shed, a dirty cattle shed, where nobody would ever think of sleeping and certainly not bringing a baby into. And she's delivering the Savior of the world. What if Mary had have used circumstance as a lens to interpret God with? Well, she probably would have thought that she was cursed, not blessed. She probably would have thought that God was against her, not for her. I mean, being moved from one place to another and then landing in a dirty shed of a place and actually putting your newborn baby in a, in a cattle feeding trough. But no, something is alive in this woman. It's faith. It's faith. Sorry for spitting. I'm getting excited. <laughs> it's faith. Faith is alive in this woman. And in this man, young people, that's all they were. Faith was alive. Faith was holding on to the word of God. I am highly favored. It doesn't look around. It doesn't look like on the outside that I'm highly favored. In fact, if you look at the outside facts of my life, it looks as if everything's breaking apart. It looks as if everything that I've built, everything that, that I've hoped for, all of my expectations are being dashed. It looks as if everything's coming down since I've said yes to God. Everything's getting darker. It's getting worse. But no, she doesn't interpret God's nature and God's character through the lens of circumstance. She holds on to the word of God in her heart. She holds on to it and she believes it. And then they're on the run from a wicked, evil king that's murdering every boy child under the age of two as he tries to stamp out this new king that's born in a stable. Evil, wicked man. Just imagine Mary's feelings as they're on the run to Egypt, hearing the, 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 the crying. The Bible talked about crying, arising from mother after mother, tens of thousands of mothers crying in terrible pain as they lose their child to this vicious, murderous king. And they're on their, way to, on their way to Egypt. But in all of this chaos, everything's been pre-planned by God, you see. Everything's been... God knew and he had destined Jesus to grow up 
in Egypt. And then for him at an appointed time to be called out of Egypt. Thousands of years before his arrival, it was prophesied. All of it was an outplay of what God had already declared. Let me tell you, your life is not held by the hand of circumstance. You're a child of God. Your, your life is going to thrive. Your life is blessed and circumstance. I tell you now, very often the devil wants us to look look at God through the lens of circumstance so that we get disappointed, that we question, well, is God good? Is God for me? He's for you. Oh, he's for you. He loves us. He, he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Circumstance many times is just the vehicle that God uses to position you in the place that he wants you to be. Is it hard? Yes. Is it difficult? Yes. But your faith, your faith will enable you to go on through. Paul put it like this when he was writing to a church that was tottering and stumbling and struggling with circumstances that were besetting them. He put it like this, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith. Not by sight. Now that doesn't mean that we close, close our eyes and walk around in the dark. But he was saying, listen, there's a pressure in this world that, that, that wants you to interpret life and circumstances by your mind, by the, by, the, by the sight of your mind and rationalize God's way in your life. But no, hold on, walk by faith. And Mary and Joseph were a couple that didn't walk by sight they walked by faith maybe you know we've had those questions well Lord if you did care I wouldn't be going through this do you know what I've heard this statement many times and it's not in the Bible but it's a very true statement God isn't who we think he is He's who he says he is. Lots of times we have a million and one ideas about God. A million and one thoughts travel through the corridors of our mind. Shouting this and shouting that. God is this and God is that. And if he were for you, then why is life so against you? No, God is not who we think he is. He's who he says he is. And when I look at that first Christmas and I look at that young couple, I see a young couple not knowing all the answers, not necessarily knowing where the plan is going to take them and what direction in which to go. But the, you see them holding on by faith to God's word and trusting him in everything that they're facing. I think all of us, when we open our Bible and we, we look at the New Testament especially, we understand that there's four Gospels. Four Gospels. That's how the, the New Testament begins. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Amazing books when you read them. 
And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give us an amazing birth narrative of that early beginning when Jesus came into our world. You begin to listen to them and, and read their accounts, historical accounts of the facts of what happened when Jesus arrived. And even before, we get wonderful details and we're able to assemble an amazing picture of those beginning moments when Jesus came into our world. Without their facts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, without the facts that they give us, without the details, we would be left in the dark. We wouldn't know what happened on that first Christmas. But because these men collected all of the happenings of their time and they wrote them down, not only do we get a historical account of what happened, but we also see the mighty power of God in operation within history in bringing our Savior into our world. But John, the apostle, is very different to those three writers. John makes statements. So, for instance, whereas the three apostles, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, take on a very historical approach, a very factual approach as to how Jesus came and how he was born and all of the happenings within the culture of that time. John bypasses all of that. You read John's gospel and you don't really find much details about those beginning moments. He doesn't write about the shepherds. He doesn't write about the, the, the manger and the cattle shed. He doesn't write about the fact that they couldn't get into the inn. He doesn't talk about Herod and all of the murderous things that he did to children to stamp Jesus out. John bypasses all of that to make statements. And I love John because, man, how do you make one statement that can encapsulate everything about the Christ child, and not only about the Christ child, you can encapsulate everything about the existence and the nature as to who Jesus Christ is. 1 John, uh, John chapter 1, verse 5. John comes out with one of these statements, and he encapsulates the whole birth narrative of how Jesus came and what happened in those early beginnings. He says this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus was born in a dark period of history, spiritually, where everything had broken down for 430 years. Everything was happening socially with Roman governments and armies and emperors taking over and advancing throughout the country and yet John encapsulates the arrival of Christ Jesus in one statement where he says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. I wonder 
I just wonder whether John arrived at that revelation as he was talking to Mary. You see, John and Mary had a very close relationship. We know that because when Jesus died on the cross, as he was dying, his heart were for the people crucifying him. As he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His heart was for his mother and his close friend who had laid his head on his breast, John. John was there on that awful day where the Savior was being crucified, where the Savior, the healer, the deliverer, where all of their hopes and dreams lay. John was watching it and seeing it happen live. The cries of the Christ. The anguish, the bursting heart, the spear in his side, the nails in his hands. John had to watch that and see that. And on Jesus' mind, on that awful day, is his mother. The one that had brought him into this world in a stable. And he says, John, behold your mother. John, behold your mother. Mother. Behold your son. That's the son. The son of God. The agony of heart. When you understand the crucible that these early Christians and early disciples were formed in. The furnace that they had to go through to refine their faith and to bring them into everything that God had planned for them. When you understand the, the, the cost of it all. You know, the price of a Bible you can buy in W.H. Smith's, I'd say, for maybe $3.99. But the cost of it, the price of it, $3.99, $5.99. Put it on your bedside table. Have a couple in the house. Have it on your phone. Google it. The cost, the cost on every page is a lot greater than $5.99, friends. You've got hundreds, if not thousands of people laying their lives down for the cause and the kingdom of Christ. You've got people lining up, queuing up to follow Christ. You've got people deserting and saying, no, the cost is too great. I will not give my life. And then you've got others stepping in their place saying, I'm here. I want to see the kingdom of God come on this earth. I want to achieve what he's planned for my life. The cost is far greater than the price really is. John. Theologians tell us that John took care of Jesus' mother. They went to Ephesus. And I wonder, John must have known the birth narrative, the birth narrative of Jesus more than any other person. I mean, if you were in the presence of Mary, you'd be saying, Mary, what happened? What happened then and when, when this happened and all of this, all of this darkness coming about and, and you, were in, you were in a manger and all of the uncertainty and all of the dirt and, the, and, and you're bringing the babe of heaven into the earth. What happened? And she must have told him in detail. Like the other apostles, exactly what happened. But John is this man that doesn't go into the fine details and the fine print. He just makes an amazing statement. Maybe he got it as he listened to Mary about all of the darkness and all of the chaos and all of the uncertainty and all of the, the violence and the brutality that was happening in his time. And he says, oh, 
Oh, light, light came into the darkness and the darkness was dark. The darkness was evil. The darkness was crushing, but it could not overcome the light of the world. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what darkness you face. It doesn't matter what darkness you've come through. The light will never be overcome. The light inside you. John, on another occasion, he's got this thing about light. He said, in him, talking about Jesus, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. There's light inside you. Peter, on another occasion, an apostle in the New Testament said that we're actually clothed with the armor of light. Now, it doesn't matter what darkness faces you. It doesn't matter how oppressive or how aggressive it becomes. And it'll try and come from any and every angle. Take courage today, Christian. Take courage and hope. No matter what the darkness is. The light will never be overcome by it. What makes John's gospel so unique? What makes his gospel? Because it's very different. It's a very different gospel. What makes it so unique? Oh, man. One of the things that makes John's gospel so unique is when it was written. Bible teachers tell us that John's gospel was written the latest. It was written after all of the Gospels, it was written after all of the letters. It's so, it's so rich. It's so strong in its messages, in its pronouncement. It's so unrelenting in its faith, in its declarations. John was living in complete victory and triumph as a result of the Christ inside him. They tried to kill him. First of all, they tried to throw him off a building. And he lived. And then they tried to boil him in oil. You see. But this man had something inside him. The life of Jesus. This is the man that said, In him is life. And, li and that life is the light. John wasn't talking, you know, to students in a, Bible, in a Bible study. John was talking about his experience as life and darkness and evil tried to pull him down and crush him. John came out shining and said, in him's life. And this life is the light of my life and enables me to go through any difficulty, any tragedy, any hardship. I'm going forward. I'm not backing off. Tried to throw him off a building. He lived through that. Tried to boil him in oil. He lived through that. They, they just couldn't kill him. So in the end, they banished him to an island called Patmos, a desert place surrounded by sea. 
And, and do you know what happened there? He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. <laughs> Woo! I tell you now, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. On the Sabbath day, and the Lord lifted him up into the heavenlies and showed him. What did he show him? He didn't show him a dying Christ on a cross. He showed him a triumphant, glorious Christ seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father, being praised by innumerable angels. John had life inside him. It was light to him. And no matter what happened in his life, circumstance never became the lens through which he made an interpretation of God about. No, circumstance just gave reason for him to believe God and to keep going forward. My God, John, John's gospel was the last writing to believers, to us. This man, this man saw General Vespasian sent by Nero to Galilee. He saw Vespasian come with his Roman armies and destroy city after city, town after town. Jews being butchered, alive. John was alive at that time. He saw probably over 200,000 people, Jewish men and women and children taken from their homeland to Rome to serve in the slave markets. John was alive. In 70 AD, when Vespasian left his son Titus to surround Jerusalem for seven months and butcher, violently murder over a million Jews in that city. John was alive through that. John saw the destruction. If he didn't see it, he was aware of it. He saw the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. All of these things were happening in John's world. And yet John said, the light shone or shines actually. Not shone past tense, but shines in the present tense. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome this light. Millions of people being butchered and murdered. Children being, being taken and murdered brutally by Herod when Jesus arrived. All of these circumstances surrounding John. And yet in his letter, in his letter, he ignores them all. He doesn't begin to write, time's passing quick. I don't know when they're coming for me next. I don't know what's going on. My, my world is falling apart. Jews are being slain, a million of them. The temples, the temples destroyed just like Jesus prophesied. Slaves are being taken to the Roman slave markets. And everything's happening. Crisis after crisis after crisis. Oh, what, what's going to be my fate in life? No. Doesn't even mention. Now I mentioned the history. Because you marvel in the wonder of what this man wrote amidst such a dark, wicked background. There's no turbulence. Read the gospel. 
It's awesome. Right? There's no turbulence. No tone of trouble. No tone of trouble at all. No worry. No anxiety in the gospel of John. John is the man that encapsulates. You see, he's a man of statements. John is a man that encapsulates God in one word amidst this dark, wicked background. He says this in one of his letters. God is love. God is love. That means he doesn't have any evil intent regarding your life. He hasn't got a plan B. Well, if that old boy Edwards doesn't obey me on this occasion, he's going to be relegated to the back of the line. He's going to have to visit the headmaster's room and get six of the best. I remember those days well. My school years in the headmaster's office. But God's not like that, you see. He said, God is love. God is love. There's no evil intent regarding your life. John writes this in the midst of chaos, in the midst where, where people would have been holding the lens of circumstance up against their eyes and saying, and reasoning, God can't be for us. God, God is against us. No, there's a very real evil in our world. Jesus said on one occasion, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. And we must put our faith and our trust in that word from Jesus. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close. Thank you, James. <laughs> yeah, thank God for that, he said. You are awesome, James. I love it. John said amazing things in the midst of terrible times. He said, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness couldn't overcome it. Can't overcome it. He says, God is love. Another letter, you know, just imagine this with all of the stuff happening, society breaking apart, people doing crazy things. Do you know in Nero's gardens, in Nero's gardens, he had lanterns all around his gardens as an emperor. Do you know how he lit his gardens at night? He lit them with Christians. They would be daubed in oil. He'd put them in the cage, in the lantern, and they would burn alive to light his gardens. You know, to be a Christian is a wonderful thing, a glorious thing. But we must never forget the family to which we belong, the heritage that we've been born into. The witnesses of faith that stand in heaven calling us on to serve Christ the King.
We must never forget the cost that men and women have paid with their lives. Nero lighting his garden with Christians, thousands, hundreds, dying, children, not surrendering their lives to any other but Christ, being faced with Roman soldiers, deny Christ or die, and history tells us that even young children standing for Christ, no, I've given my life to Jesus. I've read accounts of it. Jesus gave his life for me. What an honor it is for me to give my life for him. It's where the rubber hits the road. It really is. And in the backdrop of all of these terrible things happening, John comes out with wonderful, wonderful statements. He says, God, God is light. In him, there is no darkness. There is no darkness in him. And there's darkness in our world, and sometimes that darkness tries to press us. But I'm telling you now, we have a Lord and we have a Savior. We have a victor that has triumphed over it all. And he never leaves us or forsakes us. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for one moment. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice today. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the comforter. Holy Spirit, you see sometimes how we're enveloped in darkness, questions, circumstances, and situations. But today, as we've looked back on your word, as we've looked back on examples of faith, that even in the midst of gross darkness, they carried on pushing through. They carried on following you. They carried on holding on to your word. Lord, we pray that we would find hope from that. We pray with a fresh sense of your presence, fresh sense of your nearness, that we would hold on, that we would keep walking, that we would be those that Paul talks about when he said, we walk by faith, not by sight. Lord, our eyes the eyes of our mind get confused and bewildered and perplexed many times. But help us to find that faith again. To walk by faith and not by sight like Mary did and Joseph. Like John did and all of the believers that set such a wonderful example for us to follow. And like Jesus did, our King and our Lord the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. I pray for everybody here today. Holy Spirit, rest on them in Jesus' name. You may be here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart. The greatest gift this Christmas that you can receive is Jesus into your life and he's but a prayer away you don't have to work up to this you don't have to get ticks on the page to try and qualify 
You qualify because He loves you. But Dave, you don't know what I've done. Yeah, you don't know what we've all done. But we qualify. We qualify because Jesus loves us and He gave His life for us. Today, Jesus wants to become your Savior, your friend, the one that lives in your heart by faith. You've just got to invite Him in and open the door of your heart. I want to help you right now. Maybe just to pray a prayer quietly in your heart. It goes like this. Say, say something like this and mean it. Say, Jesus, I ask you today, come into my heart. Come into my life. You went to a stable. You were born there. I'm asking you right now to be born in my heart. I believe that you died for me. Don't understand it, but I believe it. I believe that somehow you're alive. God raised you from the dead. I believe it. I believe it. And I ask you right now to be my Savior. I call on your name. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love to meet you at the end of this service. Or if you would like a Bible, just at the end of the service, just at our welcome area, our welcome desk at the back of this hall, we're going to have some Bibles there. Listen, we'd love you to take a Bible and we'd love to help you on your journey and welcome you into this home. Come, keep coming, just keep coming week after week. We'd love to meet you, love to encourage you and bless you. Let's